Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. We appreciate you stopping by. The Death Dialogues Project is a grassroots effort at increasing and normalizing conversations surrounding death, dying, and the aftermath. This is an organic little grassroots project that we are allowing to follow the sun and grow the direction that it needs to go. Please come along for the ride by following us on Instagram and Facebook as The Death Dialogues Project and our blog, www.deathdialogues.net. And please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review so that our podcast can be shared more widely. Thanks so much for your support. We hope you enjoy your time with us. Hey, this is Becky from the Death Dialogues Project, hanging out in the Little Red Shed on a beautiful summer weekend in New Zealand. And I thought I'd take some time for just a little chat with you today. We are still in New Zealand holiday mode, which means summer with a capital S long hot days, kids still out of school for for a couple more weeks, and just generally not fully engaged in the grind. Just doing bits and pieces here and there. I am excited about some really interesting conversations lining up for the podcast, so watch this space. But right now, it's confession time. One thing I find most intriguing in the area of death and dying are conversations about the afterlife, and more specifically, stories where loved ones have tried to make contact after their deaths. A promise I made to myself as I started this project and a little pay-yourself-first motivation, I wanted to always add the question in my interviews regarding whether the interviewee feels that their loved one has tried to be in contact with them. Honestly, I was concerned about the reaction of people, but thus far, it's almost as if people feel a relief when the door to that conversation is opened. And there does appear to be some holding back. Thus far, I haven't had anyone lead with a statement like, hey, just wanted to comment on the fact that my deceased person checks in with me regularly and we are continuing our relationship. No, that's not the part of the death that ever leads the conversation. But we know that when people lead with their heart and eyes and ears wide open, they frequently find there are signs and messages from their loved one all around them. And if you were at the Death Dialogues debut project, the debut event, you know that a substantial bit of the conversation that was included covered a prolonged visit of the deceased little boy to his mother when she was unwell. It was so very moving. So today I thought I might share with you this, the story of the first time I knowingly experienced that phenomenon. A situation that was witnessed by three people and they felt, we felt, unequivocally after that, that our loved ones live on. In 1983, I would have been 22, and I was out of nursing school, working in a hospital, and paying my way through the rest of my studies. Two years prior, my father had been stricken by a brain aneurysm that was leaking. 
it was very serious and it wasn't clear he would recover. But the blood slowly started to reabsorb and he was left with none of the big original symptoms. He would have been a couple of years older than I am now. And when that happened, he was given the choice of having brain surgery to clamp off the three pea-sized little balloons that were threatening to pop inside his brain. And the next time it happened, it would likely be catastrophic. The crux of that solution would be that the surgery might very well leave him unable to move due to the brain tissue that would need to be handled to complete the task. He decided against that and was told, when the next aneurysm ruptures, it will be sudden and big. You won't survive. I think about being his age and walking around knowing that you had a time bomb in your brain and how you cope with that. Interestingly, given that he wasn't the most emotionally stable person, the situation must have called on some resilience that had been learned during his difficult childhood. I would overhear him occasionally talking about the possibility and that he was ready to die and he was good with his God, especially when he was chatting with his church people. And just after he died, I found a letter he had written in his trademark typewriter typing that had described the same, that he'd essentially made his peace with the prospect of a sudden death. It's quite remarkable, actually, that he didn't outwardly obsess about it. Of course, we never know what a person's internal dialogue is, do we? So yes, the inevitable happened pretty much as the doctors described about three years later. My mom could hear something in the middle of the night, and it was my dad's loud breathing. And he looked at up, her, up at her, and he said, 2020, Wanda, 2020. See, the part of his brain affected the first time was responsible for speech, and he knew what he wanted to say, but it would come out in numbers. So even as he recovered, we had him trying to write, and he would write in numbers. But that gradually subsided in that case. But the 2020 as his last words were the validation we needed to know that, yes, the aneurysm had ruptured fatally this time. So mom later regretted calling an ambulance. She knew his spirit was gone. But they took him and they put him on life support. And then a day later, we had to make the decision to be involved in the vigil of taking him off the life support. That night, we spent the night with my older brother, who lived close to St. Louis, where the hospital was. And the next day, we went back to the family home, where my mother and father had continued to reside. I walked straight into his room. I saw the bed still in disarray from taking my father away. His clothes were hanging on the hook in the closet, which told me he was going to get another day out of them. And his wallet was still in his pocket, and his change from his pocket that always rattled and keys were on the dresser. I could feel him all around me. It was then I had the overwhelming revelation, without any physics knowledge behind it, that I'm sorry, our energy does not just disappear. I then understood something I'd never heard before unequivocally. Our inner energy, our soul, our essence, our divine core, 
However you want to label that, it doesn't die. And that felt like truth with a capital T. But admittedly, that's where my great insight ended. There was no absolute truth that landed for me knowing that what then comes next. But the experience we had the next morning was instrumental in my ability to embrace the great mystery and to really, really get that whatever it is, it is great. It is magical. It's beyond our wildest imaginations. And yes, it is a mystery with a capital M. While great religions and beliefs had been founded on the tenets of needing to know, wanting to know, fearing and being consumed with anxiety over death, what we all must admit is we will only know for certain when it's time for our journey. And I think another part of this story that's important is also that I was raised in a very Christian fundamentalist setting with my youngest brother, seven years older than me from 11 on. It was just me and my proselytizing parents with no sibling buffers for the next seven years. My parents were pretty grounded in black and white rules and teachings, although my mom had always had a space to understand the mysteries of the beyond. Specifically, I can recall her talking about a home they would go to for Bible studies where the hosts insisted their house was quote-unquote haunted by a little girl. So back to that space in my parents' home after my father's death. I was then walking around knowing that my dad's energy hadn't just been there strongly one moment and then absolutely gone. And I found myself spending a lot of time in his room that day, just seeing him all around me and just wrapping myself around the finality of his absence. So that night, my brother stayed in the house with us in the small back bedroom, and I slept with my mom. However, I was sitting with my dad's dad. I just wasn't cool going into his room and sleeping in the bed where he had his last coherent moments just the night before. At this point, I probably need to share a bit about my dad's patterns to make the story relevant. So my dad's morning habit was arising very early, like 5 a.m. Interestingly, for someone that had an unstable childhood and was generally kind of unstable, he held a pretty rigid routine. And as far as work went, it was an overfunctional pattern. During the week, he was long gone before it was time for us to get ready for school. And on the weekends, and especially on Sundays for church, he took great delight in banging on our doors to wake us up and most frequently singing the song from the musical Oklahoma, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. We all commiserated about how nauseating it was that he sang that song because he always stopped with the clause ending, I've got a wonderful feeling, everything's going my way. Because with his rageaholic tendencies, everything did go his way. And to wake us up with that was just rubbing our nose in it. In fact, we were pretty convinced that his aneurysm had been caused by what we called fits. They were of rage, and during them, his face would turn purple, and all the veins in his head would be bulging, and we would speak of how he was going to blow himself up one day. Battling high blood pressure in the best of times, it seemed a no-brainer 
no pun intended, that he had blown up his vascular system in his brain. Another thing about my dad is that he loved the Kmart blue light specials. <laughs> he would bring random purchases that he felt were good deals, and my mom would complain were junk. One day, he gave what he gave me was a defunct music kind of jewelry box that had the twirling ballerina, or should have had the twirling ballerina, but it was missing, and that little ballerina would have been what turned the music on and off with the opening and closing of the box. And it broke my heart that it was something I'd always wanted and never had, and it just sat there dormant. So never having played, and for a young kids serving no purpose but to show me I was only worth a broken gift. Yeah, it stung. I can still feel it. And back to my mom and I in bed together. So we both sit up right in what feels like the middle of the night because it was still dark outside and we heard a very tinny tink, tink, tink. And we look at each other. And then we look at the digital clock and it reads 5 a.m. And then my brother comes prancing into the room in his Fruit of the Looms, hopping up and down from one foot to another, holding the music box saying, I can't get it to stop. I can't get it to stop. The music box is closed. The sonnet is playing. Oh, what a beautiful morning. We all look at each other. Affirmative. It's dad. Eventually, my brother takes the music box into my dad's room and puts it on his dresser. It immediately stops. Yeah, again, I was 22. I hadn't had many thoughts about life after death. From that experience forward, my mother and my brother and me knew unequivocally that someone's energy does not disappear after their death. And ever since that experience, I have had no fear or dread of dying. So there you have it. My first experience of someone communicating from the beyond. We hear these type of stories within our conversations with others about death here at the Death Dialogues Project. Let's be sure and give each other permission to talk about these magical after stories. It's okay to ask, have you felt or sensed the presence of your loved one since their death? I'm finding a beautiful magical door frequently opens and the sense of relief when a person gets to share their experiences, it, it's palpable. Want to explore this topic more? I will share a couple of my go-to resources, a book, an amazing book called Hello from Heaven, and it's based on case studies of people who feel they've been contacted by someone after death. There is even a chapter devoted to jewelry boxes. It's that common. A podcast called We Don't Die has all variety of conversations of life after death. And I'll link those on this episode's description. Honestly, there's so many resources available. All the more validation that this magic should be open to conversation within our day-to-day lives. And hey, if you've got a story to share, would you like to share it on the podcast? Just holler out at us. We're here. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm -hmm.
We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.